on episode number 24 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded June the 4th, 2019. My name is Eric. I'm the host of the show. I'm based in southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, beaten 3 EPN, and computer geek. I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and to be able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. Well, greetings from an alternate location. My name is Ian. I live on a small hobby farm. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sport shooter, reloader, and my farm's designated handyman. I'm Alan. My friends and family call me a safety nerd. As a first responder, I have developed a mind for safety over uh, over the years. I teach first aid, coach my family and friends to be better prepared. I'm a locksmith by trade. I've worked in the physical security industry for more than 20 years now. And my name is uh, Hughes. Um, this is my first time on a podcast. I'm from uh, Canada's East Coast. Um, I'm a former member of the Canadian Armed Forces, uh, current uh, first responder. I also hold a private pilot's license uh, with float endorsement. Uh, and I've just gotten into the um, uh, the world of uh, lockpicking. Um, I'm also a hunter and um, competition target shooter. All right. And possibly the most accomplished person that we know. <laughs> nah, there's, a, there's a lot to live up to in this chat <laughs> <On this topic. laughs> well we've got some uh, tumbling content for you that'll uh, open some new doors to your preps in this episode uh, we're going to start off with some news articles relating to preparedness and the outdoors uh, next we'll be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since our last episode which was uh, a little while ago and then we'll get into the main topic of the episode locksmithing for preppers let's move into some uh, news article articles. I put up is uh, a note from Kelowna. Seems all the news that I find that happens out in BC. I'm going to blame that on Ian. Um, a, uh, uh, sorry, came from Kelowna from the town of Vernon, and there was a break-in under there that resulted in a stabbing. Now, in most modern terms, we would consider that a home invasion, and that is a it's a really good reason to make sure that your home is properly secured. Well, chances are if uh, the homeowner did fight back, they'd be charging the homeowner with something too. So it's a typical Canadian story, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any, anything is possible, yes. Yeah, there was actually a uh, one in, I think, in Southern Ontario where the guy actually did uh, break, do a home invasion. The homeowner did shoot him. And of course, uh, they asked for a lower sentence because he got shot during the home invasion because he had yes. to go through enough. I was like, yep. I, I'm actually, yep. you should be happy. He's still breathing, really, but... You know, you, you would think. Yeah. I, I would say because he was using an airsoft pistol at the time, he should probably be charged more because that's uh, they consider stuff like that firearms when you actually use them in a nefarious purpose. But that's true. Yep. Anyway, well, then that that to me is an, an imminent threat of grievous bodily harm or death, which is within the use of force spectrum a uh, a good reason or a justifiable reason to apply lethal force. Yeah, I would agree with you. It was a bizarre little story when I read that today but uh, as for myself uh, I just noticed in the news there it's a couple weeks old now I guess because of the uh, the delay with the podcast but uh, we had the first wildfire of the season in BC um, it was in a traditionally fire prone area but surprisingly the residents weren't quite ready because they felt it was just too early for fires so it was up uh, near a place called Fraser Lake and uh, they ended up having an ev evacuation order and they were all caught with their pants down because it was just it wasn't the season yet I was kind of giggling about that morning. They also threw the link in there as well. I, I have that feeling about Christmas every time it comes around, <laughs> but I don't have to evacuate when that happens. Yeah. And well, actually I noticed that Fort McMurray's up uh, in, uh, in a blaze again too, like 10 miles south of town or something. It's uh, 
it's on fire again. Oh, is it? Yeah. So another, uh, well, actually one of our, uh, uh, friends from the international preppers network is actually up there fight, uh, fighting the fire right now. So, so that's how I heard about that one. Well, anyway, uh, there we go. Yeah. So, uh, another interesting thing is from the CBC. So, uh, civil asset forfeiture laws are soon, coming soon to Canada. So basically because we've had a problem with NBC again, of course, with money laundering, uh, from, uh, foreign sources, which it was been driving the real estate boom here for quite a while, but they basically decided to crack down on that. But basically their, their new rule is going to be, if they can't, if you can't explain where your money came from, they're just going to take it. So that has a huge potential for abuse, but it's a very interesting story. We're definitely worth the read. So I threw in the link for that one. Um, last one I just thought I'd mention quickly, uh, is that Bill C-71 actually passed the Senate. So, uh, it's waiting on Royal Assent, but it's uh, getting close. So, uh, yeah, so prepare accordingly for that. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm just saying it's probably a good idea to start uh, being more firearms aware when it comes to uh, current law. And, uh, that's what it for me. All right. Uh, I've got a link in here uh, in regards to the tornadoes that uh, struck uh, east end of Ottawa area. So I'm sure if you've been listening to the news uh, last uh, little bit that uh, you've heard about that. Um, an interesting thing I heard earlier today in regards to that was the uh, emergency alerts that go out on, uh, on the mobile networks. A lot of people were complaining that they did not get notification that these uh, tornadoes were actually coming their way. Um, so there was some advanced knowledge that it was happening and some warnings that were sent out. But um, a bunch of people out that way said that their phones never got any kind of an alert or any kind of a, a message to warn them that it was coming. So um, there's uh, still some things, to, some bugs to be fixed in that system from the sounds of it. But uh, it, link in the it's notes. It's almost there. as if you shouldn't rely on other people for your own safety. Oh, 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 oh. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure the government's going to take care of us. Come on now. Yeah, yeah. We should just shut the podcast down. Forget about prepping, and um, yeah. All right. So that's, uh, that's the last. Isn't, isn't that the, isn't that the most? Isn't isn't that the biggest lie ever told? You can trust me. I'm with the government. Uh, yep. Yeah, I'm I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Ah, yes. <laughs> Anyways, we're on the wrong CPP for a rant like that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we are. Anyway. All right, yeah. let's move into what we've done lately for our preps. So right. for myself, we've just been uh, getting the house cleaned up, uh, painting and, and getting rooms uh, all organized with uh, some good news. Got a, a little one on the way due in October. So yeah, awesome. So we're, we're your, your, your preps no yeah, are no so longer be. relevant. <laughs> yeah, so that's been uh, that's been the, yeah. the projects for the last right. while. Well, you just have to open up. a whole new chapter of preparedness for new requirements now. Oh yeah. Uh, it's going to be a fun adventure. Excellent. That's, well, that's, that's one word for pretty, it. Pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, Canada's youngest prepper oh, coming yeah. up here. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've been hitting the books hard. I'm uh, studying for my ham radio license. I uh, actually got to do some really cool forced entry training this week, which was uh, which was a really good time, uh, including some wall breaching where I literally just took a, took a tool, smashed a hole through two sides of a wall, and then threw myself through it, um, which is uh, it's a lot more fun than, uh, than I was expecting it to be. Um, added some intermittent fasting to my fitness cycle, which is pretty cool to, uh, to put out more effort without needing food, uh, keeping myself on a... On a Reduce calorie, reduce calorie, and, and focus calories. So I'm only eating once or twice a day now, which is really um, kind of changing the way that I do things. But I figure if the worst comes to worst, then being able to be functional while uh, while not fully fueled is probably a good thing to have. Um, 
rotated the fuel stores. Uh, my my gas my gas stock. Um, definitely need to add more to that, but that's uh, that's coming there. And started a, started my earnest search for portable wood stove to keep our home warm in the event of a disaster. So I'm planning planning to have that all ready to go before uh, before it gets cold again around here. Actually, intermittent fasting. My wife's a big believer in the IF like that. Uh, so you do like a 16 hour fast, or how does that work for you? Uh, I'm, I'm typically doing 18 to 20 right now. So, uh, and I do that through four days a week and then no, no less than 16 in between, which, um, now that I've gotten used to it makes like it's, it makes my days more productive. Um, I've, uh, so I've what started meal do you that. cut out? Do you typically cut out breakfast or? I, I, I try, I try and not cut out any one particular meal. So usually okay. breakfast, um, go to the gym, go to the gym without, uh, without having breakfast. And then I don't eat till about noon, stop eating about six and then carry on until noon the next day or, you know, start, stop at, at six and eat, don't eat until two the next day, depending on kind of depending on the work schedule that I'm on. Um, and then, uh, sometimes I'll, I, I recently I did a, like a almost 30 hours and then, um, and then had breakfast, lunch and skip dinner just to, uh, just to change it up and see how see how I react to it. Actually, I find it worked really well for me. If I'm at home for a good stretch, I can get up to like you know regular 16 hours, and it works out really well. It keeps up keeps the snacking down at a minimum. But as soon as I'm at work and on the road and stuff, it's just uh, it falls apart, and it's yeah. hard to maintain with the regular schedules, right? Well, and if if you don't have a regular work schedule, then it makes it very difficult to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I would expect in your in your line of business, you don't you don't get the option to just stop what you're doing at you know the 16 hour mark and say, well, I get to eat now. No more eating. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's pretty tough. So, and what about you, Hughes? Have you been up to anything? Yeah. So, um, I mean, with fall, uh, I'm sorry, with spring uh, being upon us and almost summer, um, I've taken a lot of time to um, do a lot of maintenance on some of the small engine stuff that I've got. Um, a lot of cleanup around the property as well. Um, and then one of the things I kind of neglected over winter was my fuel store. So I, I still rotate them as, as often as I can, but um, some of the fuel is starting to get quite old. So I was dumping that into my vehicle and then uh, refilling the jerry cans at that point. Other than that, I mean, um, it's not, to me, preparedness is not just about, um, you know, things that you accumulate, but also skills that you learn. So um, I've been trying to, um, to the point that you guys were talking about, um, you know, eating healthier, um, getting more exercise, and especially with the nicer weather, and then always trying to pick up a new skill. And that's what um, led me to being on on this um, episode specifically, which is about lock picking. Uh, and it's, uh, anyways, we'll we'll talk about it more. But yeah, that's that's something I'm a big believer in. It's not just you know the stuff that you accumulate as a prepper, but the skills that you gain as well. So um, that's uh, that's what I've been up to there. Awesome. Well, originally I had, was going to say I'd been at work a lot since the last show, but we had that extra week off, so it worked out well, and I had a pretty busy week. So uh, I managed to use the online time away from home to put in for uh, some limited entry limited entry draw hunts in BC. You have to put in for uh, draws for certain animals because I'm uh, planning to meet up with a fellow prepper in Cranbrook this uh, this fall, so it should be an interesting hunt. Um, had time to renew some contacts, study for the ham radio exam. Uh, when I was home, uh, luck prevailed uh, around the local area around my house. I was able to harvest a bear in the spring bear hunt. So I had a very successful attempt at pressure canning. Uh, I would say I did, but actually I didn't. My wife did. So she uh, she was able to do some pressure canning and um, I think we put 20 pounds of meat into the pressure canning with bear and it was awesome. It uh, wow. worked out really tender. And yeah, it was, it was, it was fantastic. A good um, amount of meat, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it, it really for a little bit of salt, pepper and garlic, it, it 
went from being like gamey tough meat to fall off the bone kind of roast beef and it was fantastic so uh but i did manage to be the sous chef and help her make some uh bear chorizo and summer sausage and it worked out really well so we were kind of happy there's a first attempt at all of that and uh very very successful so nice. uh nice. Yeah, and then I managed to meet up with uh, Prepper Ryan from our group uh, from a recent work trip here. So it was always nice to expand the, the Prepper network and uh, meet up with like-minded people. Uh, that was fantastic. We had a good visit. And then that was our first face-to-face. And see here. So I had the Hot Springs meet and greet. Uh, not as well attended as I would have liked. And we actually had a couple last-minute cancellations. But um, did have some people there. And uh, fun was had by all, despite we had a solid day of rain on the Saturday. Uh, funny story. I'd normally bring a bunch of 22 ammunition for the kids. I had a couple girls there that were like under 15 and normally they, they clack away the 22, but they kind of looked at my Ruger PT carbine I had with me at the time, which is nine millimeter version of the Ruger 10 22. And they said, give me that and basically clean me up nine millimeter. And so I, did, I had to suffice myself with uh, using the 22 and they literally ran me dry of ammo. And uh, they asked, remember those metal made up a couple weeks ago with the, the first attempt at welding. Yep. they they shot they shot the small one so much that they actually broke it. And no way. Like, yeah, the little loops I had on the, the top corners, yeah. they actually shot them right off. And I was like, oh, I guess, oh I guess I'll be drilling holes now. So that's that. It's so that was well, pretty much well, it. new ones back on. Yeah. Well, I think I think they weren't as tough as I would have liked them to be. So I think I'll just drill holes through them and get a chain link through and take it from there. That also works. Yeah. So that was pretty much it for me. All that's right. a that's a lot that has happened. But, uh, yeah, that's a, it was a busy busy couple weeks. <laughs> yep, yeah, it's been it's been at least a yeah a couple weeks since our last episode, right? So lots uh lots to catch up on. That maybe we'll move into the main topic. Um, let's see here. All right, we got we got lots to cover. Lots. Well, uh, yeah. Full, full disclosure today, I'm the dumb question guy. Like I know nothing about locksmithing or lock picking. So um, if I do have a question for you guys, feel free to talk over me and just ignore me or whatever <laughs> i've been waiting for the day that you've given me permission to do that oh, yeah go for it <laughs> so quick 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 story uh i've been doing this a really long time um longer than my longer than i care to admit i had a customer call me now this is last week in the show notes but it was really two weeks ago because it was because of the delay um customer called me is, is an, an old friend i've been working with him for years and years and years and he called me about seven o'clock on a friday night always opens his garage from the app on his phone it's, it's a connected house and um, pulls up in his driveway, opens an app on his phone, presses the button, it opens his garage door, and then he can walk in and then he can walk into his house. The internet service in that particular neighborhood had been down for the day. Mm. And so he had to, he had to get in to do things, did not have a key to his house, did not have any other way to get into his house other than this app that relied on internet service to make it happen. Um, I showed up, opened the door in about a minute and a half, and uh, and he uh, he just had this dumbfounded look on his face. Like I've been waiting five hours to get. Took me twenty minutes to get there, and nine, about ninety five seconds to open the door. That's uh, pretty so sad. No, no backup plan for that guy, I guess. No, no backup plan for that. It's not right. Exactly. Oh. So, uh, re- complimentary redundancy was the lesson of that day. <laughs> Well, you got to think, I mean, if you lose power, um, you know, it's nice to have an app on your phone, but <laughs> uh, it's not going to work, right? So, nope. wow. Exactly. Well, the garage door opener wouldn't have worked had the power been out. So the internet was working or not, that door yeah. was open. Exactly. 
Yeah, well, maybe a good lesson for him. Maybe I uh, expound upon later, later on the joys of preparedness or something. But <laughs> so, can you guys? Well, I mean, you... that that or he's just going to keep calling me and paying me to unlock his door. So, oh, well, <laughs> security, the... right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what can you guys give me uh, as far as a rundown on the basic theory behind uh, locksmithing and lock picking? The basic the basic theory of lock picking is that you want to mimic the action of the key. And I'm sorry, I'm playing with some playing with some toys here. Some, I'll show, I'll show these off a little bit closer later. You want to mimic the action of the key inside the lock and take advantage of the manufacturer's tolerances. So in a perfect world, everything lines up exactly. The, uh, the pins inside a lock are about 115 thousandths of an inch in diameter. And the holes that are drilled to accommodate those pins in a perfect world are about 117 thousandths of an inch. So there's not a lot of wiggle room. In reality, drill wobbles a little bit. They drill the holes a little bit bigger to make things, to, to, get, to have a, a lower failure rate. And so you can take advantage of that by, uh, by manipulating the, the action, uh, by manipulating the lock and, um, and mimicking the action of the key. Um, that's your basic lock picking theory. Broader spectrum, basic lock smithing theory, uh, when you're talking about gaining entry to a property, is you either want to mimic the, the action of the, of the key or override the action of the lock. So if a lock has a very specific function, you can get around that somehow, then you can do that um, without, without causing damage in a lot of cases. And in many cases, you can do it without leaving any trace that you were ever there at all. Hmm. And there are, I mean, there are a million, there are a million things that we could, um, that we could source. Um, there are, possibly tens of millions of videos on YouTube about how to open doors, how to pick locks. Um, so we can cover kind of the basics here. Um, there are a few later on in the, in the show notes, there are a few, a few people that we reference, but that's, uh, um, this is one of those things that's as much art as it is skill and practice is the only way to do it. Well, is there any uh, source for, for any kind of lock picking tools that you suggest? Sure, there are there are lots of sources. Um, one you can make them yourself. Uh, my first my first lock picks were ones that I made out of uh, hacksaw blades and a Dremel tool. Um, we there are some there are um, a few online retailers, uh, including RapidSurvival.com. Uh, you, get them, you can get some through there. Um, there are a few basic tools that you want out there. Uh, they are, and for those of us who are for those of you who are following along um, on the uh, on the YouTube channel. Uh, there's some there's some show and tell. So the basic um, basic tools that is a hook. Uh, you can kind of see it there. It's a, it's a bit of an upward upward swoop to that one. That's a diamond. Again, a bit of a bit of an upward swoop to that. This one's called a rake, and it's got a couple of different couple of different swoops to it, for lack of a, a more uh, professional term. And the last thing you need is a tension wrench to turn to actually turn the turn the cylinder. And there are a million variables in all of those things. A lot of it comes down to preference. Um, I've worked with locksmiths that have um, you know 350 different types of picks and tension wrenches and tools and gadgets. And um, I've worked with guys that carry you know two things tucked in their shirt pocket, and that's all they've ever used to open doors. And both of them are equally effective at getting into getting into doors, getting into locks. 
Yeah, I found when, uh, so I got started in, in uh, I'm not a locksmith, so when I got started in lockpicking, um, it was actually probably um, two months ago now, and the way I came about it is um, I was watching YouTube video videos, and there was this video that Otto played about lockpicking, and it was from the lockpicking lawyer, which um, if anyone's familiar with lockpicking, he's pretty popular on YouTube. Um, and I started watching his videos, and I kind of got interested into it, um, interested in it, and I kept watching more and more uh, videos. Um, and I basically decided to order um, a lockpicking kit off um, just the Chinese web website. It was like 30 bucks, and similarly to what you just showed there, you know, number of different lockpicks, um, like the hook, the diamond, the rake, got some tensioning bars, um, and I found that over the course of a couple weeks, I was able to um, basically get through all of the padlocks I had in my house, the deadbolts I had in my house, um, and that led me to ordering more uh, tensioning bars, like like the ones that I had were just for the bottom of the keyway, so I ordered some for the top of the keyway when I um, needed to get into some more complicated locks like these American locks um, and some ABIS locks and everything. So um, at first, the locks I was trying to get through were like, you know, like the master locks that have no security pins, so those were quite easy. And then when a few friends of mine that work in construction gave me some ABIS locks, some American locks, um, those became a lot tougher because they have security pins. Um, and I'm, I'm sure <laughs> anyone who's tried a lock pick and has come across security pins, either spools or serrated pins, knows that those are uh, not easy to pick when you're not experienced, right? So. Well, it's, and it's in that case, the, the concept behind those is sound because what it does is it, it, um, it changes the feedback. It changes what you're feeling when you're, when you're picking the lock. And so you think that you've, um, you think you apply the right tension and you've got that pin, uh, you've got that pin set so that it's no longer in your way. And in reality, it has, it has jammed up partway through. Um, so basic theory and. I don't know how well you can see that. So this is a cutaway of a cylinder. Um, so you can kind of see what's on. So what's on the inside? There's this is the back. This is the back of the standard lock cylinder. So right here, this is the plug. This is the part where the key goes in. And this here is the shell. And inside there, there are some springs that push down on some on the pins and hold them in hold them in place. And when there's no key in there, those pins are just all pushing down into the plug. When you put the correct key in like this, all those pins line up exactly along the top of the plug, which allows it to turn. And so that's the that's the, the action we're trying to mimic when we pick locks. It's the idea that we're turning the, um, when, when you're, you're applying a little bit of turning pressure, uh, lifting, those, lifting those pins up, then the top pin is kind of resting on the edge of the plug. And when, um, and then when, and then the bottom pin will drop back down out of the way. And when you've done that for all the pins in the lock, uh, the lock will turn. So that's, that's kind of the, the, the mechanics of it and understanding how many pins there are and, you know, which, which chambers or which, which holes are the most, um, are the, are the ones to do in which order there's, there's, you know, we could literally go on for months about that, but, yeah. um, in in basic, that's what we're that's what we're after. That's the, that's kind of the action we're trying to mimic. And so with a with those serrated pins, um, it jams partway through, so it feels like it's set in the right place, but it's it's actually not. Uh, or mushroom pins, where they have a they have kind of a hollow partway through the top pins, and so you'll feel a little bit of a turn, which makes it which makes you feel like it's been. Uh, it's been set properly, but then it actually has not. So um, those are things that manufacturers do to try and overcome um, 
overcome lockpicking as a challenge or as a as a as an attack attack uh, an attack uh, technique, but um, with a little bit of practice, there uh, you can feel it. And you can you can compensate for it. Yeah, I found when I ordered my uh, lockpick set, it came with one of these locks, and I don't know if the camera can capture accurately. It's basically yep. it's a practice lock, so it's an acrylic plastic plastic acrylic lock. It still has. Um, a bronze core in it but the beauty of it is is that when you put your lock pick inside of this you can see what the pins are doing in relation to what your pick is doing so it basically for me at least it trained my mind and it trained my brain to understand visually what was happening inside the, the lock based on what my hands were feeling um, and then when i moved from a practice lock like this one to um, an actual lock like this guy here um, I was able to, um, my, my mind was able or my brain was able to understand what was happening inside the, the lock based on what I was feeling on the pick. Um, and some of these practice locks that I got were very cheap and didn't have any security pins in it. In it, uh, And other locks, other practice locks that I ordered actually had security uh, pins in it. So some spools, some serrated pins. Um, and that's really where I learned the most was basically um, knowing when I've basically run into a serrated pin or um, a spool and what to do with it and how to properly set it. And I think the second thing I've learned um, that's been a really valuable lesson when it comes to lock picking, well, pay patience is one, but the second one is um, the ability to understand what you're up against when you see a lock. So if you see something like a master lock that you would buy at, you know, your typical um, home hardware or Kikinita or anything, these are stores here in Canada, um, these things are really easy to overcome. I mean, I can get through most of the master locks in seconds, right? If I come across, you know, a very expensive ABIS discus lock, um, I know that I've got my work cut out for me, right? Um, so being able to identify the level of skill and the, the types of tools required to get through that lock um, is, is the biggest thing for, for me. Because when I started out, I looked at all padlocks as being the same, when in reality, they're not. Um, and you're going to have, you know, your really low-end locks that everybody, most of the people use. And then you've got these really, really expensive locks on the other end of the spectrum um, and in reality, sometimes you'll look at the padlock and you'll understand that it's way too much effort to get through that padlock when you could probably pop the hinges on the door in a matter of seconds, right? Yeah. So, Well, thanks for driving up my budget for, for locks around the house. <laughs> anyway, uh, just circling around back to the beginning there, guys. Uh, just can you, I know, Alan, you kind of touched on it, but can you just like give a, a like specify what each individual of those three tools, what they actually do for the, to the lock? They all, they all have, they all serve basically the same function. Um, so those are the three, the three, the three major ones there, the, the hook, the, the hook, the diamond and the rake. Um, what they do is within the, within the lock, they, they lift the pins up um, with the, with the rake. It kind of does, it kind you, you kind of, push it in all the way and pull it back fairly quickly. And the idea of that is you, it's, it's accuracy by saturation. If you do that enough times, it's the, it's the, uh, the closest thing we get to fully automatic around here in lock, fully automatic lock picking, where you just, you just spray and pray. You, 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 you pull that back a few times while you're applying tension and you hope that it's the pins. Uh, whereas the, the diamond and the hook they're um, they're a little bit more finesse. Those are the, those are the sharpshooters and they, they, they attack kind of one pin at a time and you get really, really excellent feedback as to what it is between the diamond and the hook. Most of that is preference, personal preference. Um, there are some, there are very few out there, very few brands of locks where, um, the, where the, the long, where there are long pins next to short pins. And that is represented by 
the depth of cut in the key. So if you can kind of see that, you can see how the, how the keys are, the key, the, all the cuts are kind of at different lengths. So in order to line up um, inside, the, inside the shell, all of those pins have to be of different lengths. So if you've got a long pin uh, behind a short pin or in front of a short pin, for example, um, you may need a different tool to attack that than if you've got a whole a, a whole series of short pins together, um, and that again is it's it's uh, it's, it's all the feel. So if you're if you're if what you're feeling works well for you, then use that. Um, I've always used the 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 hook and the rake because those are what I learned with, and those are what I'm comfortable with. Those are what I practiced on. Those are what I earned my I applied my trade with. Um, that said, there are here's another set that I. From across the pond, um, and there are one, two, three, four, five. There are like seven or eight different, seven or eight different kinds of picks in there, and they're all they're all different, uh, all different designs and all different styles. And there's one in there I've never seen. I've never seen that before. Uh, that's kind of the second one from the from the left there, and it's got a really weird. It's got a really weird design to it. And the the people that made that again, they're they're UK based, and they said oh, it's a, it's something that they that they find is really useful there for that particular style of lock that's common in their in their geographic region. It's not something that we see here all that often, so it's probably not terribly useful for us. I found also um, like lock pick set that I got had like 25 different picks in it and I've tried them all and I keep resorting to basically three picks. Um, and that basically is one um, is personal preference. And two is the type of keyway you have to deal with. Cause if you have a really difficult keyway, like a paracentric keyway uh, on some of the more expensive ABIS locks, I'm going to use those as an example or, or Ablor lock. Um, the keyway makes it quite difficult to get a pick in there, which is when you have to resort to, instead of using bottom of the keyway tension, you have to use top of the keyway tension in order to tension your lock. Yep. That's a good example there. That's, that's, that's a keyway right there. So the keyway is yeah. the, the, um, the space cut out in the face of the lock that the key goes into. And based on the design of that, you'll see with these keys that there's a series of kind of cuts and grooves and shapes and the key has to be the key has to fit that keyway, and so the there there are a lot of ways to make that key that that keyway uh, more difficult to attack, which is again something that's been you know uh, it's the it's the better mousetrap theory that's been going on for you know a hundred and. 180 some odd years since Linus Yale Jr. first patented the pin tumbler lock back in back in the you know pre Civil War days. But so just the uh, just, um, well, one of the questions we haven't really touched on is the tension wrench. Can you just explain what the tension wrench is for? So the tension wrench, yes, I can I can show you. So that's a tension wrench. That's one example of a tension wrench. This particular one is double ended. It has a flat side and kind of a twisted side. And so what happens there is it just kind of sits in this particular case it sits right in the bottom of the keyway and it is literally it is literally to just apply pressure sideways and what happens there is when it, when you apply pressure sideways it allows and then you lift the pins it allows those those pins to to, to rest on top because it, because those those holes are sitting off center uh, and again it relies on the it relies on the the inexactitude of manufacturing to make that uh, to make that um, make those whole put those holes off center uh, allows for you know it, it takes advantage of the fact that um, these are fairly soft metal most um, most keys most keys and cylinders are made out of brass or nickel silver which have uh, which have a, a tendency to wear over time and so 
eventually you're going to end up with, with some with some sloppy tolerance um, that gives that gives you a little bit of room to play. And so applying applying the right amount of tension will applying too much tension will bind everything and you won't be able to move the pins at all. Applying tension, you won't be able to bind the pins at all because everything will just be sliding up and down normally. And applying the exact right amount of tension will bind the will bind the pins and make everything work. That's a really good point because I just want to make I just want to uh, touch on that for one second. So I'm just going to show on camera here. So um, the silver lock here is a power fist lock, which is you know Princess Auto's home brand or house brand. And then this green lock here is an American lock. Um, and I found that um, when I started lock picking, I was applying this I was applying the same amount of pressure um, on the more expensive like American locks as I was on the cheaper master locks. And um, really one of the biggest learning curves was what amount of pressure to apply to what type of lock. So for, for example, I found that the American locks require very little like feather touch pressureless. So I'll use the top of the keyway uh, tensioning bar and I basically just apply my finger on it just to have a little bit of pressure. If I apply any more than that, I'm binding the cylinder and I will not get through it. Um, and the first time I picked this green lock here, it took, took me over two hours to successfully pick it. Uh, now I can pick it in probably less than a minute, um, but that's because I've picked this lock and I know the binding order, right? Um, and that's another thing I wanted to mention too, is that sometimes now that I've gotten into lock picking and I read up a lot about it and all that kind of stuff, I'll see things that bother me. And I, what I mean by, by that is I'll see keys that people have on their keychain that have a number on it. Sometimes that number refers to a unique uh, unique manufacturing codes. Other time it refers to um, basically um, the bidding order on the key. So the bidding order is exactly yeah what he's showing there. I don't, so, I don't know if you I don't know if you can see that on there, but that's that's so this is a factory printed key, and yeah. that is exactly what's on there. And this particular one says four four three six three. Yeah, this is a Schlag key. Yeah. yeah. Um, so four four three six three refers to the the depth of the cuts, and so every manufacturer out there has their own standards. Um, for for depth, so if it so in, in um, with Schlag, their their standards are fifteen thousandths of an inch increments. Um, starts out at uh, two hundred fifty thousandths is a full key blank, and then a cut uh, number four would be sixty thousandths of an inch taken off. Um, yeah, because and where they, because are, they go in those increments. Where I'm going with that is that you know if I'm trying to get through a lock i'm going to try to do it i mean i can do it in a destructive fashion which i do a lot in the fire department because we don't you know we just have to get through it as quickly as possible i can do it in a non-destructive fashion which is where i'm learning to lock pick and then i could do it with the least amount of effort possible so if i'm sitting at a table with you and i can read the bidding order on that key i can go back and duplicate that key just without having the key physically in my hand as long as i know the bidding order i can duplicate the key and then i don't have to lock pick the lock, I can just put a key in and I'm in, right? So it's those types of things that I've noticed uh, and that I've begun to understand as I get more into lock picking. And there's there's other things as well. Like I bought a set of um, padlock shims on eBay for a dollar. I got 10 shims for a dollar. And a lot of the cheap locks um, that don't use ball bearing locking mechanism can actually be shimmed open. So why would I pick the lock when I can shim it open in two seconds, right? And you can so also make those out of pop cans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, like once, once, you know, once you know that pattern, it's, it's a pair a pair of shears and, and a pop can, and you can you can make those. Um, back to that 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 uh, key printing thing. Yeah. Um, I've actually done that on many occasions. What I've what I've done is I've had somebody take a picture of of both sides of the key, uh, and I can I can create a key from that just by just by you know because I know 
I know that dimension, I know this dimension here at the top and I can, and, and because I know the, I know what the increments are, I can average from this dimension to this, like to this spot, I can use landmarks on a picture and I can actually recreate a key just by, just by a picture, make a new one. And I mean, all you um, need because these keys are made out of brass is all, as all, all that you need is a file and uh, a set of calipers to measure the depth that you're cutting at, right? Yeah. Um, and even, I mean, a set of calipers is not really necessary because, again, I mean, there is some uh, sloppiness built into these locks, right? So you may have to try it. You may have to to file it down, try it in the lock, and file it down again. But um, it's totally do doable. And then we can get get into bump keys as well. I mean, some locks are bump proof, but most of them you in insert a bump key and you hit it with a hammer and it and it basically opens right so yep and um, it, it relies on it relies on on the uh, again the same concept that we're you're lifting all those pins up high and turning the and turning the mechanism uh, and then as you're doing that um as you're as you're as you're applying that turning pressure the bottom pins are going to drop back down and trap the top pins uh and it can it can be especially in a especially in a well well-worn lock that can be a very effective way to open a door quickly yeah. One uh, one more thing I want to mention too is um, if you if you know and study locks. So obviously, if you're a locksmith or if you're into lock pick picking, you can study locks and um, the the vulnerabilities and exploits for certain popular locks are all on the internet. So there's certain locks made by some companies that have. Um, that have a, a fault where basically you can use a, a tool called a comb and you basically put it into the keyway and you push up and it basically pushes all of the pins above the shear line. And by doing so, you can rotate the cylinder. So this is a way that you can basically uh, pick the lock without actually picking the, the pins one by one. You basically push them all above the shear line and, and that's it. So just cram, once, cram them all the way up out of the shell. Yep. Yeah. So once you, yeah, once you understand what locks have, what types of vulnerabilities, you don't necessarily have to pick that lock. You can exploit the known, the known vulnerabilities in, in that lock. Right. So, and, and there's even some cheap, at that point, right? There's even some cheap lock coming from China that have a laminated steel body and a plastic core in it. So all you got to do is stick a screwdriver a driver in there, turn it, and you overcome yeah. the core, right? So if you know what what you're looking for, uh, it's really easy to to overcome these padlocks. And I was actually amazed and kind of scared um, at the ease at which somebody like myself, average Joe Blow, can pick up the skill and pick up a set of tools for next to nothing. And within a few weeks, I was literally picking, you know, a sixty dollar dead deadbolt on my house that I thought was secure. When in reality, it's it's not. <laughs> it's to keep honest pe people out, and that's it. So talking about well, uh, I mean, average there and uh, and lock picking and such. Uh, what are the legalities of lock picking? Well, the legalities. Uh, and I, I'll f full disclaimer: I'm not a lawyer. Um, None of us are. here is a lawyer. Do you, um, on, do you play one on TV? I, I have, in fact, played one on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can if you can find it on YouTube, bonus points for you. Um, <laughs> The legalities are if you are using if you are using a tool inappropriately, you it, you are guilty of an offense. That also applies to having a screwdriver. That applies to having a spark plug. Right, a spark plug can can go through a window pretty darn quickly. Um, it, so it's all about in, it's all about intent to in, intent to use. Um, there are, as far as I'm aware, in Canada, I can say for sure in Ontario, but as far as I'm aware across Canada, there are no restrictions on owning lockpicks. There are no restrictions on carrying lockpicks until you use them to enter to access a property to which you are not authorized. 
then you're not breaking and entering. You are now trespassing. You're now doing all of those things. You're in possession uh, of breaking until you, tools. Possession of breaking and entering tools, all of those things. But until you do that, until you do that illegal thing with them, you're not, you're not breaking any laws. Yeah, and I can confirm as well. I mean, I, I looked into it, um, at least from a standpoint on the East Coast um, of Canada. Uh, it's the same thing. So there's no uh, restrictions or laws or anything on on owning, owning or carrying um, lockpicks. I know that some places in the United States, you need to be a licensed locksmith in order to carry these or something like a first responder um, in order to have them in your vehicle. But um, there's no such thing in Canada. And again, it's just based on, um, you know, I can pick my own locks all, all day because I own them. I own this property, um, but I can't go to my neighbor's house and uh, pick his locks because, I mean, it'd be basically be the same thing as kicking his front door, right? So, yeah. I will throw the, the typical disclaimer in there is if uh, if you do have lock picks on you and you do end up getting arrested, do not come and say to the judge that uh, you're on a Canadian pepper podcast and you can possess them. Uh, we're not giving out any legal advice, that's for sure. No, yeah, actually, I have a follow-up question to that one, guys, then. Uh, just out of curiosity, like, what's the fe- uh, provincial regulator or federal regulator? Is it like a government department that actually covers this sort of stuff at all? Like, Where would I look to see if it's like legal to own and all that stuff? Like, is there... Well, in in most in most of Canada, I believe Alberta is the only place that has any registration of locksmiths at all. Everywhere else, anybody can call themselves a locksmith, and there's it's the free market. It's the free market that decides whether you actually are or not. Um, so there, it's it's covered by the criminal code under you know breaking and entering and possession of breaking and enter tools and all of those things. Um, so as far as I'm aware, the only place that the only place that actually regulates that is the criminal code. So there's no, you, you would have to contact your local police department. Now, when I, as a, as a professional locksmith, I, I, I spoke with my local police department a few years ago and I said, so what, and I, the question I posed to them was if somebody, somebody hires me to open the door and I look at their driver's license and it says that they live there and I open the door for them and turns out that that is, that has been falsified. What is the, what is my liability there? And about four days and three superintendents later, they said, mm-hmm. so basically it's going to have to go to court to, de- to determine whether or not you've actually done something wrong. If you are acting on good faith, that somebody is, um, that somebody actually has the right to hire you to do that. So there's a fair bit of good faith that ha- that happens with that. Um, now that's, that's something that's kind of Canada based. It used to be, and I don't know if it still is. It used to be in Russia that the only people that could possess lockpicks were the military. And therefore, well, if you required. <laughs> it, therefore, if you if you locked yourself out of your house, um, it, it literally took the army to get you back into that house. Uh, I don't know if that's still the case, but that was up until a couple of years ago. It was, wow. it was, it was all the, are the only people that could um, that could that could visit, that could carry lockpicks. So, um, because thankfully, because I'll take good care of you, comrade. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if so I can, if I can mention uh, though. Um, so, so one thing with lock picking as well, and again, I've I haven't gotten into the point where I can do locksmithing stuff. Like I, I can take cores out of locks. Um, I can take them apart to see what type of pins are in there. But I've never actually rekeyed a lock or anything like that. I don't have the tools or the supplies needed to do that. I I, I want to do it. I think that's the next thing I actually want to do. But one thing I've noticed where it was so easy to pick through my deadbolts is. I've decided to add an extra layer of security. So for for example, I have three entry doors here on my house and on the back door, I replaced the deadbolt with a one-sided deadbolt. And what that, that, that is, is basically you have um, the actuator inside, but then there's just a steel plate on the outside. So that means that somebody can't 
picked her way through that back door. Um, on the garage door, I have an implement that basically locks the door from the inside like a night latch almost. So even if, so, if somebody were to pick that deadbolt from the outside, the door will still not open. Now, somebody could perceivably kick their way through the house, uh, and that's fine, um, because if they're going to use a destructive method to get through the house, they're going to find a way to get through the house. But to stop a lock, uh, a lock pick from getting into the house. I've left them with one option now, which is my front door, uh, which faces the, the road, which has illumination. There's a camera on it. Um, so those things are going to dissuade most people from trying to get in um, using non-destructive method on that lock. And the doors that are not exposed to the road or traffic. Well, it takes away the stealth option. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the thing yeah, is, is that, that back door, off. yeah, that back door, I mean, you can't pay pick it now, but there's a giant pane of glass that if somebody wanted to throw a rock through it, they could, and then just, just op open it up. But I mean, then there's, there's a security system that you have to, to, to deal with. And then you've got the fact that I'm home most of the time. And, you know, the difference between a burglary and a home invasion is, is, is a pretty big step, right? So. Well, and the, the big thing is it leaves a trail, right? If, if there's a broken window, then you can, and there's something missing, then you know that somebody's been there. Yeah. Um, from a for, if if the if the lock has been picked, unless unless you actually take that lock apart and put those pins under a microscope, um, if you do that, you can you can generally tell that that a, by the by the striations on the on the the pins that a lock pick has been used, but that won't but tell you whether people, it was actually yeah. effective or not. And unless you're getting into in, unless you're getting into you know serious forensics, um, which you're not going to do for an average, you know, for, for, for the average Joe, um, you're never going to know whether or not a lockpick was used. Yeah. And I think that's the whole allure of it is being able to get through a lock um, without, without being known. Right. And I mean, that's to me, that's like a skill. Cause I mean, really what we're talking about is gaining entry to something and you could do it in a destructive way or non-destructive way, which is lock pick, pick lock uh, picking. Right. So um, to me, this is why this, this skill is, really 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 important in in the trade we used to have a we used to have a, a kind of a running joke that um banks did not like it when we opened safe deposit boxes without drilling them open they in, in most banks required us under contract to drill the lock and they wouldn't let us even try to pick it because they want they didn't want to create the illusion to their um their box holders that the lock could be opened without their press without them without their key <laughs> oh yeah, because it's the, use the dual key system or whatever, and they, yeah. they, yeah, they, they sell they sell the safety aspect or sell the security aspect to the customers. So, but even yeah. then, so I they, mean, they the, dual, not... the dual custody system only means you've got two locks to the big. It's not that big of a deal, right? <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was, so it's just kind of one of those running jokes that if if somebody yeah. lost their key and we had to go do that, um, most banks most banks would not allow us to uh, would not allow us to, to open the lock non-destructively. They, they, they made us destroy the lock and replace it. Yeah. And then I, I wanted to add as well, like if you think about it, um, most of your average run in the mill thieves, um, are probably not professionals, right? So, I mean, if you've got a $150 kryptonite lock on your bicycle, um, that's going to be way too much for your average person to get through as far as lock picking goes. Right. Um, so, I mean, I started with, um, these types of padlocks here, the, uh, the keen tumbler um, and then the next one that I got I, I, I don't I haven't picked any yet but I've got the tools on order to pick 
disc detainer locks. So those are like the expensive Ablor locks that have these disc detainer cores in them. Um, there's some really cheap knockoffs from China that people are typically able to get through in less than a minute. Um, and then there's some Ablor locks that people have not been able to get through yet because um, they're so, I mean, you, you don't get any feedback on these types of locks and all that kind of stuff, right? So, well, they, they don't have, they don't have the pin and tumbler system like, mm -hmm. like an average, like an average keyway does or an average cylinder does. And that's, that's kind of, that's one of the, one of the benefits of, of that system is that it's, it's, it's not unpickable, but it's, it's as close to unpickable as. But as the thing is, is that you're really you stepping up the game, right? Yet. So there's not yep. a lot of people out there that one have have the skill to pick any types of lock, right? There's not yep. a lot of people that have the tools. And then you really, when you think about it, um, going from picking these traditional uh, pin and tumbler locks to disc detainer locks is is a big step, right? So you need specialized tools. Um, oftentimes you need to modify the tools based on if you're going to tension it from the top of the keyway or the bottom of the keyway. Um, and you need you, you need more time. And that's the thing. I mean, if you know, I've been picking these master locks. I, some of them in as little as three or four seconds. And I sent some videos to some of you of me picking these in seconds. Whereas you know, a two hundred dollar Abloy padlock, it takes people five six minutes to. Uh, to pick these locks, which means that you're leaving a much longer signature of you standing there picking a lock. So, you know, if I'm picking a lock in three seconds, it looks like I'm using a key. If I'm sitting there for six minutes, probably up to no good, right? So, yeah, and so yeah, it's it's it definitely slows somebody down. And I mean, the big the big thing about locks is you're trying to make your you're trying to make your um, getting into your home or your business or your property as unappealing as possible. Um, criminals as a general rule go for the easiest target. Uh, if you are not the easiest target, chances are good. They're going to move on unless they want into your property. And if they want into your property, they're getting in no matter what you do. Now, the other problem too, is that, you know, if you have somebody that knows what they're doing as far as lock picking goes, and you know, if I come up to a shed and I see um, a $4 master lock, probably not that much in that shed, right? If I see a $200 Abloy discus padlock on that shed, whatever you're protecting is probably worth more than 200 bucks if you're going to put a $200 padlock on it, right? Yeah. So as a rule of thumb, you know, putting a $150 bike lock on a $100 lock doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so again, it's it gives people the the probably the presumption that there's something quite valuable behind that lock when in reality uh the guy might just be a lock aficionado and just really want to put an expensive lock on his shed to lock away some brooms and some rakes right so camouflage yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right guys so i know everybody is itching to know the answer to this next question uh the stethoscope thing you see in movies all the time on the old safes with the locksmith putting it up against and just listening to them for the clicks and the patterns does it actually happen kind of um not really, but kind of. Um, it, it can be done. Actually, I, I had a uh, I had a safe come through my shop a few years ago. Um, it was about uh, it weighed about six hundred pounds, and it was about three feet by three feet by about four feet high. Um, we tracked, we traced the, we traced the design back to about 1922, and it was really cool. And, and it had been long abandoned, and um, and yeah, with a stethoscope, I could hear, I could hear the the thing, the. Uh, the gates, the wheels or... inside turning, uh, and I could hear the gates lining up. Now with um, with safe locks, the dial locks, they they work on a really different principle. Um, it's still more by feel than by um, than by sound, uh, and you can you can feel you can feel when they you can feel when they line up because there's a spring that that pushes a um, that pushes a cam down on the on the surface of the gate uh, on the surface of the wheels, and then the wheels have gates, and then when all of those gates line up. The 
cam drops in and allows the door it allows the door to open um it's a lot more by feel it is by than it is by listening um but that doesn't make for very good tv when you know when when it's just a guy dialing the dialing the the lock back and forth and then it opens um, yeah you, I, knew that really, guy, I knew that guy at hogan's heroes was full of crap then <laughs> <laughs> there's actually an episode of the a-team and I, I remember this episode rather vividly um there's an episode of the a-team where they um they put a tape recorder in um, in an envelope that they put in a safe, and then they got the paper back, and they played back, and he said, you can count the clicks, and that's how you can figure out the dial. Absolute malarkey. Uh, not not even a little bit. Uh, it was, profess, it, but it made for um, good TV. I'll profess that I haven't done any of this with safes yet. I, I've just picked locks themselves, but I did see a video of somebody getting through a sentry safe. So, I mean, if you, if you know the type of safe I'm talking about, you can buy them at like Staples or Costco. They're like a hundred bucks or $200 electronic safe. You think that they're unbreachable, right? And they do have some security features on them that make it a little bit harder to get, get into. But in one of these videos, they basically took a rare earth magnet, put it up against the front of the safe and move the magnet which basically moved the cam inside the door of the safe and they were able to open the door. As easy as that. So what, the, what that's doing is actually, it's, actually safe, moving yeah. a, it, it's actually moving a solenoid inside. So solenoid is a little plunger uh, around with an electromagnetic field around it. When you apply power to the electromagnet, it retracts or extends the, it extra, retracts or extends the solenoid. And what that what with sentry safes and that was that locksmith was that guy he's uh he's based in vancouver actually he's a he's a pretty neat guy i've i've uh, i've spoken with him on many occasions um and what he did was he took that rare earth magnet and he 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 it created a magnetic field stronger than the spring that was holding the um that was holding the solenoid in place and then when he moved it it retracted the it retracted the the, the solenoid and was able to open the door um, back in the battle days before that, before the, like when solenoids were fairly new, what we used to do was actually, you would tip the safe back on it, on the, onto its back feet, apply tension to the handle. And when you dropped it, it would bounce on the, the, the spring, would, the, the solenoid would bounce uh, on the springs inside and you could just crack the door open doing that. Um, so safes are safes are a really interesting, a really interesting uh, um, field. It's, it's a whole subset of locksmith. It's a whole specialty in and of itself. Um, Safe crackers are like the fighter pilots of locksmiths. They uh, they get they get to do all the really cool stuff. Yeah, uh, and then I want to yeah, they get, they get all, all the glory in the movies, right? Exactly. But uh, yeah, that's awesome. So hey, guys, just to, for people like me that wanted to start learning the skill, like how would you guys recommend to start? Like start out, like just to get the basic knowledge and uh, basic skills get going. I'll tell you how I did it again. I mean, it's, uh, you know, there's there's two main channels that I followed. It's uh, Bosnian Bill um, on YouTube and the Lockpicking Lore. And between the both of them, they've got almost probably 1,500 or 2,000 videos picking almost every padlock you can imagine. So I just, I find going through those videos and looking at how they, they basically um, examine a lock and how they go about attacking the lock, so to speak, um, gave me a lot of insight on how to get started. And then, um, like I said earlier, I went on some nondescript Chinese website, ordered a set of lock, lock uh, picks, and then I basically went through my house, gathered all the padlocks I could find. Most of them were garbage master locks. And I just basically sat on my sofa watching, you know, Break Breaking Bad, reruns of Break Break Breaking Bad, and I sat there and I just picked my way through every single lock. And in a matter of, a, of about a week or so, I picked my way through every padlock. And I said, well, I'm going to attack the deadbolt. So, uh, and then I think also getting an understanding of 
how um, of how the actual pins work in relation to the cylinder lock and stuff, which is why something like this, um, like these locks here, these acrylic locks are a really good learning tool. And you're only going to use these for a few days because once you get an understanding of what your pick does within a cylinder and how it moves the pins and all that kind of stuff, then you can move on to the real deal. Um, and it's, it's really, it's, it's really quick to pick, pick up as far as the skills goes. And it's all fun and games until you hit those security pins. And that's when it starts to get a little bit harder. I started out with these what guys. Else? So they're, um, they start out, there's little numbers. I don't know if you can see them on the camera there. This one says two. And I got this yep, one here, it's three. And then yep. I got four and five as well. And that's the number of pins that are actually in the lock. Oh, so yeah. Okay. Cool. So I know this one, I've only got two pins to, to play with, but I can start with that and I can start feeling the, the reaction on the pins. And then I can, once I get that number two figured out, I move on to number three and you get the feel for moving three pins around, et cetera. And I found that helped out uh, quite significantly with uh, at least knowing ahead of time how many pins I was dealing with and getting the feel for the lock and, and how it operates. So you guys talk about all these like two pin, three pin, four pin types. Like how do when we actually look at a deadbolt or a padlock or whatever, how do we actually know what type of lock we're looking at? So I mean, you can if you if you can see the key, you can you can look at the bidding order and you can determine how many pins are in that lock, right? Typically, by experience now, like I know, um, I, I I know most of the padlocks. I I, I can tell how many, not not tell, but I I know from experience how many pins that they have in each one of these locks, right? But if you don't know, what you do is you basically stick your pin or sorry, stick your pick inside the top tumbler go to the very end um, and then start counting your way back and you can count the actual number of pins in there so you know okay. how many pins that you've actually got to deal with and, and you just basically just 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 count them yeah um, so a couple of a couple of points to add uh, if you're an old school guy like me um, do a google search for the MIT lock picking guys that is the MIT as in the the university in Massachusetts um, they have uh, uh, an entire lockpicking team. They have guidelines. Uh, there's a lot of, um, it, it's an older document. I want to say it's a, like a mid nineties document, um, but that's, it's excellent for understanding the theory um, of, of how locks work and how the picks are able to overcome a lock. Um, so that's a good, that's a good one to have uh, kind of a good document to learn from. And um, when it comes time to finding locks to pick um, there are, you know, a, a million online sources, but also go down to your local uh, Habitat for Humanity Restore if you have one in your area. Um, they often have um, old locks kicking around that you can practice with. And also the um, uh, hit up your local yard sales so you can find locks that, um, you know, are, are not, they haven't been, they haven't been altered or manipulated. They've just been used a little bit, taken off the, taken off the door. Uh, you know, there are, there are, um, you know, hardware suppliers around like door, like hardware stores or door, um, uh, millwork suppliers, and they'll have old discontinued locks that they'll sell you pretty cheap. I know the um, one place that I've been to recently had a had a whole uh, a whole skid of of old keyed knobs um, on sale for ten bucks each, and they're brand new in the box. They're just dead stock, uh, so they they move them out pretty quick. So there's there's lots of lots of opportunity for to find cheap locks out there. Uh, I'll practice um... on. I'll throw one last source in and and this is where I got a lot of these locks. Um, so these, this is like, this is an American lock. Um, I've got some other ones here that are ABIS and whatnot. Um, I went to a friend of mine works for a local construction company um, and they have a lot of construction sites that they lock up with padlocks. And I said, you know, do you guys have any padlocks that you've lost the keys for that you don't, you, you can't use anymore? And he says, oh my God, do, do I ever? He literally, he gave me a box of locks. There was about 30 locks in it. And most of them were 
um, like the American lock and the ABIS, these are locks that are worth 20, 30, 40 bucks each. And the beauty of it is that although I don't have the key for it, if I can pick this lock, I can remove the core and rekey the lock. Or because I haven't done any rekeying, I can drop a new core in it with a key. Um, so I can, I, as long as I can pick it, I can change the core or rekey it. And then I can turn this in from basically a piece of garbage that can be, be used to a $30 functioning padlock. And I said to him, I said, if I can get these fixed up, do you want the, the locks back? And he's like, no, you, you keep them, you play with them and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, all right. So my next step as I'm picking these um, is to get my hands on some new cores with keys so I can basically drop the new cores in, in these locks. And then I think eventually what I'd like to do is get into more of the locksmithing side, which is basically once I pick it, I can take the core out and I can change the pins myself and get the keys and uh, go with that. But yeah, if you go to your and, local and then and then sell your sell your construction friend um, all all new padlocks that are all key to like, <laughs> so you, you can make them all, put them on the same key and then you won't have that problem anymore. There you go. Yeah, that's right. Uh, a lot of construction Another companies I work you, with. Uh, yep. Oh, sorry. Anyways, didn't mean to cut in there, but uh, just those those electronic like uh, lock picks that kind of like have vibrate back and forth, or whatever. Kind of like uh, what do you call them? A pick gun or whatever. So this, um, are this those is an example of a pick gun. This a new is an, or... Yeah, um, they can be. Um, I find that people who learn with these, this is a manual pick gun, and it, I don't know if you'll be able to see that. It, it happens pretty quick, but if you watch kind of right here, um, when I do that, it kind of move, kind of drops down and. Uh, and hits up at the same time. So that's kind of the manual version of that. The electronic version of that just, you know, does the same thing for you. It's essentially a manual toothbrush is what it is. Uh, I find when people learn with those, they use them as a crutch. Uh, it can be a lot faster than um, than using manual lock picks. Again, you're relying on brute force. It's 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 uh, spray and pray lock spray and pray lock picking, um, which is a, a, a term that I just coined earlier tonight and I'm really proud of it, but it, uh, um, it, it certainly does the job. They're certainly effective. Uh, a great way to open a lock in a hurry. I know whenever I've done, uh, whenever I've done work with bailiffs and, uh, and sheriffs and, uh, and police before they care more about getting through the door quickly than they care about how pretty the job is. Um, and so that's a tool that certainly will open the door fast. Um, but again, it makes a little bit more noise. Um, it takes again. It, it, you know, it's like anything. It, it's it's like any tool. It takes a little bit of skill and a little bit of knowledge to um, to make it work. But once it does, it's um, it's it's certainly a functional a functional piece of kit. I and, and also too, to to me, around. like I don't have a pick gun, but I do have some rakes that came in my kit. I was able to rake open a lot of the cheap padlocks. And I, although it's it's neat that I know how to do it. I like, I'm more into it for the art of actually picking the locks pin by pin, right? So, I mean, I can stick a rake in there and I'm through in like three seconds, but I'd rather um, do it manually the old school way and understand, you know, what, what each pin is doing. But that's, that's just me. But again, I'm oh, yeah, not and that's, and there's, 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 a, there's a time, a, there's a time and a place for that, right? I, yeah. um, there, there's been, there've been many occasions where I've had a, uh, um, I've had a, I've had a sheriff standing over my shoulder and he says, if I tap you on your right side, you're going down that direction. Cause, uh, if this, if this door opens and this guy, this guy show this guy, the, the, the person decides that they're going to come out all of a sudden, um, if you're on your knees in front of the door, um, you don't have a whole lot of option yeah. for, for, for defensive action there. So, um, I, very distinct memories of a uh, of one particular instance where I was standing in a, in a three story walk up, and I was in kind of I was like kind of on the landing and the um, opening the door, and there was a, a cop standing on one side of me, a cop standing on the other. And I'm not a small person by any means, and both of these two were um, 
like they were they were tiny both of them could have fit inside the same space that my body occupies and they said well if this guy opens the door, I guess he had warrants and they were called out for a, for a wellness check and they couldn't get the door open. So they called me and uh, they said, you know, if, if this door opens, dive out of the way. And I said, that's cool, but there's stairs on both sides. So I'm throwing myself down the stairs and then what? Like you, both of you are half the size of me and, and then what? Um, he, he, he was not, um, he was not cooperative. I finally did get the door open, but he didn't think that I was actually going to get it open. So he didn't, he was not aggressive about it, but it was, uh, it was just one of those, one of those instances like where getting through the door fast is sometimes more important than getting through the door in a pretty or non-destructive manner. And that of course brings us to the, to the very last, um, the very last uh, tool I have in my, in my kit. I wouldn't say the very last, but it's kind of a last resort and I may not actually have an example here. I just got my little my little kit that's in my bat in, in my car. Um, that's sometimes sometimes the easiest thing to do is just put a three eighths inch drill on the face of it and just just be aggressive. <laughs> uh, I've always said there's 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 no door that is impenetrable. It all depends on the amount of violence you're willing to apply, to apply. What's uh, what's funny? I was gonna I was gonna mention that as well. Is that you know you can pick your way through a lock. Or um, one of the things I've seen on a lot of these YouTube channels is they use something called a ram set. I don't know if you guys have heard of heard heard about this before, <laughs> but it's like it's a ram set gun. You get them for about you know hundred dollars on Amazon or from Home Hardware, Home Depot, and all it is is it uses a blank twenty two caliber cartridge and there's basically a hardened steel piston inside that basically forces that piston out and typically these are used to basically set uh, nails into concrete or structural steel but if you don't put a nail in it the piston protrudes from uh, the ram set and basically it it's defeating almost every lock it comes up against because you're basically shooting the lock instead of using a bullet you're using a, you know a solid hardened steel piston and I mean on these channels they've they've basically used this ram set and 122 blank to um, to get through you know an eighty dollar padlock just as quickly mm -hmm. as that. I mean, this leaves a big signature. I mean, again, it's it's a gunshot, right? So if you're trying to do this at two o'clock in the morning when there's security outside, it's this is not the way to do it. But if you want to do it quick and dirty, uh, <laughs> that's another way to do it's, it. It's I mean, certainly it's certainly a way to do it, and I, that's you know that's another another entity unto itself is, is forcible entry and getting, getting through the door quickly. Um, and there's a, there's a time and a place for that too. I mean, I, you know, as a, as a first responder, I don't carry lockpicks, but I carry axes and rams yeah. and pallet tools and all kinds of, all kinds of things, all, all kinds of big, heavy, ugly things that are designed, designed to get me through the door when I want to get through the door. Um, but they, but I'm leaving, I'm leaving a trace that I'm, that I'm going to be there. Yeah. Um, where where this is where this is a really useful skill is when leaving no trace is the best thing. Um, the challenge of breaking a door open with a you know with a with a, a halogen or a ram is that you can't lock the door behind you afterwards, or you don't so care to do it, <laughs> or yeah, or you don't care to. If, if that's not part of your, if that's not part of your plan, then that's then that's okay. Yeah. If we're if if you remember the uh, if you go back to like season two or three of The Walking Dead when they're just kind of on the run and they're kind of running from house to house but they keep smashing doors open to get through. If they had taken the time to pick the lock, they could have locked the door behind them and get bought themselves a little bit more time. Yeah. And I'll mention too, as well. I mean, this is coming from my, my, my nine or 10 years in the fire service now is, you know, try 
before you pry, right? Oh, I can't absolutely. tell you. I cannot <laughs> tell you. And I'll use an example that happened two years ago. So there was this really nice house. I'm talking almost a million dollar house. And we got there because there was reports of a smoke condition within the home. I did a 360 around the home. I saw smoke in the kitchen. The homeowners weren't, weren't home. So I gave my guys a go ahead. And the front entryway on this house was probably fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. I'm talking stained glass and everything, right? So the guys, you know, my my guys did what I told them to do, and they took a halligan and, and an axe, and they got through this front entryway pretty quickly. Um, turns out um, that uh, the door was unlocked. So, um, and it turns out that the smoke condition in the house is basically just a smoldering box of cereal on, on the stove. There's actually no fire or anything. So we basically, we didn't have to put anything out. Um, we used uh, positive pressure to vent the house of the smoke. The only day that damage there was, was basically the insurance having to, re to replace a $20,000 front entryway because we destroyed the door. We destroyed the stained glass around it. We destroyed the frame when we could have just turn the door knob and open the door and afterwards i'm sure i'm telling you right now yeah. coming from my days um in the, the military police as well is you know you have to look at you have to um you have to size up what you're going up against right and this is like a lot of commercial doors are outward swinging right so before you push on a door try to pull on it look 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 at how the door works and before you do something understand how it works and try that first so before you push on it which would and i've done this before i'm i'm searching an area and i come across a door and instead of pulling on it i push on it and i hear click which means i just latched it when now i'm screwed because now i can't get into that building right so i did that as a rookie big rookie mistake so you just really have to use your brain and you have to size up what you're going up against and that's the biggest thing with these padlocks as well is sizing up the padlock to understand what you're going to be up against as far as you know what type of cores in there how many pins are there are there are there security pins can you shim this lock um or you know if you need to get it through it quickly are you going to use something like um a cordless angle grinder with an abrasive wheel and it's going to get through this lock in 10 seconds right so or if the lock itself is the, the same point then most padlocks are attached to chains which can be cut with bolt cutters they're attached to a hasbin staple which can be um which can literally just be pried off the door well, yeah, uh, in, that's, in a lot of cases, so. that's just it. I mean, you know, even here, I mean, uh, you know, I've got a shed that basically has, you know, a relatively uh, moderate lock on it, but basically the, 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 the hasp has, you know, like three quarter inch screws into pine, which is a soft wood. So, you know, you could take, um, you could take a pipe wrench and twist the lock and it's going to basically rip the hasp off the door. Right. So you've got to think about, you know, if somebody wanted to get through it in a hurry, um, are they going to go through the bother of lock picking or are they just going to take a pipe wrench and just twist it off? Right. So well, I think from a preparedness perspective, there's going to be a time to be quiet and a time to be like destructive, loud and quick too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, uh, just because I know I'm going to have to stop you guys here. So we're going to go on for like three hours around this one, but yeah, for a good intro for uh, lock this has been a good one, but I, I got some dumb questions I wrote down here just because I was, you know, kind of trying to follow along with you guys and you guys are going way over my head a bunch. What are shims? Um, so I wish I had them here with me, um, but basically shims are just really thin pieces of metal. I'm talking like thousands of an inch, um, that you can slip through and I'll, I'll actually get a lock here. So this is, um, this is an ABUS lock and you see where basically, um, the hasp goes into the body. If there's any tolerance there whatsoever, um, what you can do is you could basically put in a piece of steel, I guess, thin piece of sheet metal in there and basically shim the lock open so if it uses 
Um, and I don't know the correct terminology for it, but if he uses like a ball bearing mechanism, you're not going to be able to shim it. But if he uses the, the typical, um, the dogs, I'll, I'll call them, then you could basically slip that piece of metal in there. It pushes the dog out of the way, and then you can basically pop that hasp open. Okay. So yeah, a shim essentially it, it separate it separates the separates two sections of a lock. So whether it's a padlock that uses um, a padlock that uses uh, those those dogs, like he said. So a dog is 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 essentially if you think of everybody's pictured everybody who is any kind of a prepper has read um, has read like a, an outdoor survival guide. And if you think of that, um, think of the like the the trigger mechanism for a for a snare. We've got kind of a 45 and a 90 degree angle and it fits in kind of like that on a big scale. Um, this part here would be spring loaded. This part here is on the shackle and a shim is a very thin piece of metal. Think about the thickness of a pop can um, that's, that would slip in between those because this part spring loaded, pushes that out of the way and then it, it allows it allows the shackle to move freely um, you can also do that with several with, with a whole bunch of different types of um, um, whole bunch of different types of locks uh, depending on what you have access to like what, what part of the lock you can see uh, but those yeah absolutely so those, so a shim uh, and there's there are a million there are a million websites and a million YouTube videos either to show them um, but grab a pop can and some tin snips and, uh, and you can, you can go to town and make them make a whole ton of them yourself. Uh, and they, they can be very effective and very quick. Okay. So pre next prep prepper related question. Are all handcuff keys keyed the same? All NIJ, so National Institute of Justice, all NIJ certified handcuffs are all the same, whether it's Peerless, Smith and Wesson, whatever they are. Um, the fuzzy cuffs that you, uh, that you may or may not have in, in, in your, in your, uh, um, in your, in your bedside table are generally not the same. And there are, what, you been telling what, you? You, what, what you don't know when you travel in. Oh, oh boy. Here we go. Here um, we go. No, but those, so those, 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 like those fuzzy handcuffs, like those fuzzy play handcuffs are generally not the same mechanism as a, um, as a, uh, um, a police or security or corrections handcuff. There are a few out there. That, um, there are a few brands of handcuffs out there that actually use a full pin and tumbler key. Uh, but handcuff handcuffs in general are um, are designed to reduce resistance rather than stop somebody from escaping. So they're 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 fairly easy to bypass once you understand the mechanism behind them. Yeah, and you can um, shim those as well because of the ratcheting uh, mechanism, right? Yeah. Now, in yeah, order so to there's... do so, you'd have to be left to your own devices, and you know the whoever put you in handcuffs in the first place is not staring at you while you're trying to do this, right? But or or you have to be Samuel L. Jackson in Die Hard Three because that was pretty badass when he like took that piece of wire out, and Bruce Willis took that piece of wire out of his shoulder and like. But that's basically what he did was he took um, he took a piece of wire that ended up looking something like handcuff key that which is yeah. pretty small and just pressing it between the uh, pressing it between the latching the latching mechanism um, uh, to um, to bypass it and it's this it's actually the same motion just for the record the same motion as is going to end up in our podcast challenge so yeah. stay tuned for that part just okay. uh, just a little little tidbit there. I know skeleton key term is pretty outdated and you know, that's what they used to use in the old days and stuff with the big, big old locks, but is do like each manufacturer, do they have like a kind of a master key that kind of opens their locks generally like hotels have like a master key in the old school versions before they could win electronic, but is a skeleton key still a thing? Uh, yes and no. 
Right. So skeleton, a skeleton key, um, or what we what we would traditionally call a skeleton key, was essentially taking advantage of a limitation of that lock. So back before the pin tumbler system, which is what we see today, this is a pin tumbler lock. There are pins in the top, or um, springs in the top, pins in the bottom. They they work together. Before that system was popular, they used what was called a warded system, and a ward was essentially uh, an obstruction in the keyway. So you would have t generally you would have a um, a key would have a a, a hole in the end of it that would fit on a post and a blade that would rotate around, and the obstruction within the um, the obstruction within the lock would determine whether that key would turn or not. Um, and so if you had a key that bypassed all of those obstructions, then that's what we would call, what we would typically refer to as a skeleton key. Um, so like for there, are, there are still some in, there are still some in circulation. So some master padlocks yeah. um, that kind of look like a, for lack of a better description, they kind of look like a fishbone where they have a series of cuts kind of up both sides. Um, that's, that's a warded padlock. And if you cut away all of those, all of those things, um, all of those things, except for the very tip, you can actually put that in any master, any one of that style of master padlock and, uh, and rotate the key. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's so, and then, and then what hotels use and what a lot of commercial facilities use is a, is a master key system. So that looks like it is, it's a standard pin tumbler key, just like this. Um, but it is, it's standard pin key, but then it, it, it uses uh, a different type of pin inside the lock and takes advantage of the fact that those um, those cuts are all on standard locations. And so you can plan all, you can plan your keys at standard cuts and, at st and, and, and a series of progressions and put the correct pins in place to allow more than one key to, um, to open the door. Um, and that can get super complicated. That's that's like that's an entire week. That's a, like that's actually a week long course in and of itself. Um, but fun fact: both World Trade Centers, like both World Trade Center towers, when they were when they were still standing, could all be open. Every door within both of those towers could be opened with one key. <laughs> um, okay, so last I think I got three questions left. We'll try and run through these quickly before you get sure. too long here. So tell me about uh, Locksport. We mentioned it a couple of episodes ago. Uh, is Locksport kind of a widespread thing? Is it worth getting into? Um, anything? It's it's certainly a thing. I I honestly can't tell you how big a thing it is. I know you know ten years ago it was kind of growing as a um, growing as a competitive thing. So Locksport in general is. Um, is groups of people uh, not unlike Hughes uh, who pick locks for fun rather than for profit. Uh, and you can turn it into a competition. Um, there's, there's a video going around out there of a guy who, um, who actually made a working key. So Hughes mentioned earlier about filing a key down to, to, to make it work. Uh, and you can do that by, by uh, it's a process called impressioning where you, um, where you, you read the marks left on the key by running it in and, and turning it left and right. Uh, and he actually makes a working key for that walk in about 65 seconds or 75 seconds, which is just wow. uh, unbelievably fast. Like I can't even find my lock picks at three in the morning in 75 <laughs> seconds. And he, this guy's like, this guy's making, making a functional, a functional lock, uh, a functional key for that door, which is, it's really cool. Um, and there's some people who do that for fun. That's all they do. Um, and they do really well at it. And um, the, the, is it worth getting into? 
if it's something that you enjoy, go for it. Um, I, I'm not one to say don't do something like that. Um, I will caution you though that if you are if your if your experience in lock picking is limited to a well lit climate controlled environment when you've got a coffee beside you and you've got a lock mount you've got a lock in a vice on a table, um, that's not necessarily. Um, that skill is not necessarily indicative of your ability to pick a lock under duress in the middle of the night when it's raining and it, or it's, you know, minus third and you can't feel your fingers. Um, so in terms of practical application, it's a good primer, but nothing takes the place of actually doing it for real. Cool. Uh, so I guess, uh, barring like going out and get certified as a locksmith and, you know, going through a big apprenticeship program, is there a faster course available to like, you get something more than YouTube, but less than a job, but you know, kind of get um, better hands on. Um, yeah, absolutely. There are, there are a whole bunch of correspondence schools. Um, the one that I went through when I was, you know, young and foolish actually no longer exists. They shut down their locksmiths, their locksmith program, which is unfortunate because it was fairly thorough. Um, I still, I think I still have all their books. Even it's, uh, it was a great program. There's, uh, there are a couple of great resources out there. There's a, a, um, a an author. His name is Bill Phillips. Um, so if you Google that, you'll find. Uh, I think I bought that book on Amazon back when Amazon actually just sold books. Uh, that's how long ago that was. I think my my edition is the sixth edition of of the complete book of locks and locksmithing. Uh, he's probably up to edition eight or nine by now, I would imagine. Um, but that's an excellent resource for for theory. That's a textbook that's used in a lot of in a lot of uh, hands-on classes. Um, you can join the your local association um, in Ontario. It's the Association of Ontario Locksmiths, and they have they have a lot of courses that you can that you're welcome to take, uh, which gives you lots of hands-on whether you actually pursue it or not. Or there are still a few correspondence courses out there that will, you know, they'll send you supplies, and I think uh, you're probably you know probably expect to pay about five hundred bucks for that. And it wouldn't necessarily be enough to get you um, get you a job as a locksmith, but it would certainly get you uh, get you a lot more knowledge than just um, the guy walking in off the street. Hmm. Um, I've also talked about at length doing a running running a class. So uh, I see a whole bunch of uh, comments on YouTube right now. Um, so keep up that. That's uh, those are some great questions. But if there's if there's interest out there in the Canadian Prepper Podcast community, um, I would be more than happy to put on a put on a hands on class. We could do uh, do a, a you know one or two day. Um, here's how locks work, and here's how to bypass them. I'd do that for for kicks in the fall. Oh, so I forgot so, to start watching the YouTube content. I was going to uh, supposed to get trash talk tonight on there. Oh, Jesus! Should have been watching. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that if you're going to run in the winter time for sure, I'd uh, I'd be interested in uh, traveling down there and, and taking the course for sure. Be, yeah, uh, so we, do, we could we could do that. That would be yeah. If there's you know if we get you know at least five or six people involved, that would be uh, um, that's all. That's always a good time. You know that would be a great excuse for us to all you know kind of get together and uh, um, have a have a little meet up and then take away some some really practical skills as as a result. So um, yeah, be good. Send us an email, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca, and uh, if you're interested, and we'll uh, we'll get an email list going, and we can uh, we'll see if we can figure that out for uh, figure that out for sometime between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Oh, I see. I did get my trash talking already. So alternate location, indeed. Yes, I can't uh, give up to eat uh, too much obsec here. So I, uh, <laughs> I location tonight. So um, it's yeah. it's actually the same place. He just hung a sheet. So yeah, it looks like he's traveling. <laughs> I got rid of the sleeping bag from the last episode. I think it was behind me. Behind me now, it's just a gray wall. So I just uh, <laughs> or be on their toes. That's what it is. Um, cool. So I guess it leads us towards the podcast challenge, doesn't it? Sure does. 
All right. So I just put in there, I didn't have much to say because I have no uh, knowledge of lockpicking other than opening a bathroom door with the inside of a pen. You know, that was back in the day when, you know, I thought it was really cool doing that. But uh, so I actually did some research on that. And I just thought um, I'd grab one of the videos from uh, M. Matt or Matt McClatchy from Slamfire. And he had a great little thing on lockpicking a combination gun lock with a precision screwdriver. I thought it was kind of neat because preparedness people usually have, you know, trigger locks around the house. And if they, for some reason, don't have the combination or whatever and want to get one off quickly, it's, uh, it was a neat little lockpicking video, maybe like a minute and a half long. And I figured if uh, anybody's interested, maybe just watch the video, see if it piques your interest, and maybe it might raise awareness or make you want to get into it. And if you enjoy it, maybe you know how lockpickers feel. Yeah. That's the it's the same technique to 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 open that style, that kind of ratcheting style of uh, gun lock, as to open handcuffs. Oh well, there you go. There Even you more. Go. So you, two 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 skills in one. Yep. Awesome. Uh, let's see. I guess we'll move into episode closing and some upcoming events. So we've still got the annual preppers meet in Desborough, Ontario happening July the 11th to the 14th. So if you check out uh, annualpreppersmeet.com, grab your tickets. Uh, they usually sell out pretty quick. Uh, just a reminder as well to anybody who is planning on attending. Uh, if you do register uh, on site or you plan on uh, making some purchases from the various vendors that are present there, um, there is no cell service, therefore there are no debit machines or credit machines. Everything there is all cash. So uh, just keep that in mind if you do come out and uh, you're looking to buy a few things. Uh, that's, uh, but will they take only. silver and gold? Oh, you'll have or, to work that out I with mean, the we're, we're a bunch of preppers, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> as a barter. Why not? Uh, <laughs> they do have uh, a time during the, the meet where uh, it's a gear swap. Uh, so you can swap out uh, certain gear that you've got for other gear and, and talk to other people and, and look at what they have and what they're looking to give up. Uh, and you can swap stuff back and forth as well. They've got that posted on the site, but uh, they've been pushing pretty hard on the advertisements recently that uh, it's cash only. Uh, I know from uh, years previous that I've attended that uh, I've tried to bring uh, my debit machine with me because I've done a vendor booth with them. Uh, it doesn't work very well. So um, yeah, the push for cash only is uh, it's pretty good because the sell signal there is, is next to none. So uh, just keep that in mind if you're coming out. Uh, and again, it's July 11th to the 14th and uh, annualpreppersmeet.com. Uh, and they're That's on Facebook fantastic. as well if you want to check them out. Awesome. I've got a uh, podcaster charity shoot coming up July 6th in Drumheller, Alberta. So everyone is welcome. You don't have to be a podcaster to show up there and uh, participate at all. Um, so interestingly enough, on the 5th of July, the day before, there's what they call a maple seed course, which is uh, you're welcome to show up uh, just with a 22 in a scope, basically. And it's, it teaches you some basics of marksmanship. Or if you're a experienced shooter, you can actually like uh, shoot for a qualification they call rifleman, or I think even there's an expert qualification. Uh, it's just a fun way to get to know some local people and stuff like that. But also on uh, July 6th, the day of the sh charity shoot itself, there's a Stop the Bleed course being held by uh, Gavin from a Canadian Patriot podcast. So that's basically uh, Stop the Bleed involves like active shooter situations or anything else where you need to like really prevent somebody from bleeding out. Um, should be an interesting course as well. I've signed up for that one myself. And uh, uh, I, did, I did that. I did that a month or so ago, and it's a fantastic class. And um, you know, it's it's kind of it kind of came about because of active shooters. But if you think about it, uh, like the the one example the trauma nurse in London here um, told me about was um, guy come guy walking up his basement stairs with a beer in his hand, tripped. Beer the beer bottle broke his fall, it lacerated his arm, and he ended up needing like four or five surgeries to put it back together. 
case. Or, I mean, uh, those 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 situations are probably a lot more common than we would like to than we'd like to admit. Uh, and it's certainly a, certainly an excellent uh, an excellent class to have uh, have under your belt. Well, as I say, even a, a hunting or a camping accident, same thing. I mean, there's there's yep. potential for bleeds there as well. So uh, that's uh, interesting. The there's actually two courses for stop the bleed being held that day. Uh, uh, morning and afternoon so you can uh, do your shoot you can do your stop the bleed course as well uh that day there's going to be a pig roast and uh actually there's probably going to be a, a impromptu podcast going on that night too so stand by for that one uh that's what it so coming up july uh i put i put an event for the basic non-destructive course um it's something that i've been i've been asked to do by a couple of different people so i'll, I'll put together a few different Ways to get through ways to get through doors and locks. Uh, it's kind of geared towards first responders, but you know, if uh, as long as you're not a real jerk, um, I can. Uh, I, I'll be. I'm. I'm open to. I'm open to uh, to just about anybody. So we'll figure out where and when and all all that good stuff. But uh, if you're interested, yeah, definitely reach out and let us know, and we can uh, we can confirm up some details and times and dates and stuff. Awesome. Let's move into uh, shoutouts. So I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out my my first locksmith mentor, Rob. He, uh, um, I, I got into this into the industry because I broke a lot of keys. Um, so he uh, he took me on as an apprentice, taught me how to not break keys, and then taught me how to fix locks. He also got me into archery uh, and got me into shooting um, all those years ago. So that's uh, uh, I don't know if he's listening, but Rob, if you are, thank you. I appreciate it, and uh, um, the the skill hasn't gone away. That's about a quick uh, shout out to everybody who's uh, joining us in the live feeds. I've noticed over the last couple of episodes, we're uh, we're starting to get uh, a base of people that are coming out and uh, and watching um, whenever we're on, and they're commenting, which makes things a little bit more fun for us as uh, as we're talking. We get a little bit of uh, some live questions and uh, and some curveballs at times, and uh, some beating up on Ian every once in a while too. As we thought today. But, uh, <laughs> That's what's over part. <laughs> But just a just a shout exactly. out to everybody who's logging in and watching us live. It uh, it definitely makes things uh... cool. So I've got a, a couple shout outs myself, uh, Prepper Ryan, for an awesome chat and exchange of ideas here. Uh, funny story, actually. Uh, shout out to Owen from New Brunswick. Um, actually, I reached out to him as he's one of the original preparedness podcasters that I started listening to many years ago. And uh, after we got chatting for a while in a typically small world Canadian experience, it turns out he actually chats with my uncle at New Brunswick that I haven't seen for years more often than I do. So um, wow. typical Canadian story, I guess, right? Like you know, Bob from New Brunswick. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, more funny than anything else. And it turns out he actually used to do martial arts with my cousin, which I haven't even seen my cousin since the eighties. So it's actually kind of funny. Um, other one for uh, opposite reasons. I came him, but uh, just a nod to one of our international preppers network people. He's busy fighting fires in Northern Alberta and doing public service. Appreciate that. And uh, yes, she already threw some smack at me there already, but new listener Katrina. So she's watching for the first time tonight. So I appreciate uh, her joining Boom, Katrina. Hey. And then uh, anything for you, Hughes? Um, I mean, I, I just, uh, you know, if we're going to go on the lockpicking theme, um, just a uh, shout out to the two channels that really got me into lockpicking. Um, and, you know, I, I don't usually pick up most of my skills through YouTube, but in this case, I, I did. Um, so just shout out to uh, Bosnian Bill and the lockpicking lawyer uh, for letting me watch hours and hours and hours of YouTube video videos on how to pick locks. And really, that's how I got my start in this. So thank you. Awesome. Well, it's right. nice that they don't charge for that knowledge too, right? Like, I mean, free knowledge yeah. is always a good thing. So. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. 
All right, we'll move into uh, email and iTunes reviews. So I'll, uh, I'll start out with the iTunes reviews. Uh, so from our, our last episode there, uh, Barnsky has uh, modified the, uh, the four-star review. Uh, so there's an, an addendum now. Uh, glad that you got a chuckle. Uh, in all seriousness, great podcast. Uh, I've learned a lot from uh, you all in just a short time that you've been on the air. Uh, even started my own mag. Uh, would love to meet uh, all you in person sometime. Uh, I'll keep my ear on the ground for the opportunity. Keep up with the good work. So um, we are back to just that one little guy, that one little four star there. Uh, <laughs> it's going to bug you for a while yet, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not going to stop now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, appreciate you changing the changing that one to a five. That's great. Um, we've got uh, twenty one five stars. Uh, the one little guy four star. Um, so yeah, keep the uh, reviews coming in. It's uh, much appreciated. Uh, as far as emails go, let's pull them up here. Uh, so we've got one from uh, Carissa. Uh, just says, uh, "Hey guys, uh, feeding the feedback inbox as you requested. Much appreciated. It's been dry for a bit." Uh, super pleased uh, to find you guys on iTunes. I've been into prepping for 14 years now. Uh, listens to uh, Survival Medicine Hour and uh, and our podcast. The only two that she actually subscribes to, so we uh, much appreciate that. Uh, she found. Uh, let's see here. Uh, if she could make one suggestion, it would be uh, to avoid the assumption that all your listeners are anti-liberal. Okay. Okay, uh, I'm happily anti-politician. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> that works. Yeah. Uh, so as, as a prepper, you should be anti-politician anti in general, regardless of which direction you tend to lean. Yes. Uh, she does, however, agree with their stance on gun ownership, uh, but there are many other policy areas that influence my voting decisions, which is why we're allowed to vote, right? So. Yep. Exactly. All right. Uh, says that we're uh, we're doing a good, uh, great job so far. So appreciate that. And as far as show topics go, uh, one uh, I haven't seen covered a lot is surveillance and internet-based services. Um, so if you're concerned with civil unrest, then you should also be concerned about the data collection and digital surveillance. Valid point. That good would point. explain that helicopter circling over my head all or over my house all the time. That explains why my uh, my bandwidth on my internet kind of slows down whenever we start the podcast i guess uh the government's watching the man's got to listen in yeah <laughs> but just remember that when something is free you are the product anybody who pay for gmail yeah yeah i uh, uh i read something really funny today too along that line of somebody saying i saved 50 dollars a month by canceling my home alarm and uh flying some nefarious flags um in front of my house and now the rcmp watches my house for me so <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, yeah just throw out some bad youtube videos and before you know you have plenty of surveillance yeah you'll right? have a couple of <laughs> in front of your house yeah yeah she, uh, she finishes the email off here but uh i know that you've discussed the importance of cash if few times but i think uh a discussion regarding internet dependence is also important um it's not wrong there absolutely absolutely and i think we could do an episode that's a lesson for the whole world is the internet dependence is becoming a thing no absolutely we we could certainly uh, do an episode on internet security and uh, and some ways to kind of protect yourself online for sure Uh, something we can uh Add to the ever-growing list of topics, so we uh, we appreciate you sending that one in. Uh, we will add it to the list, and uh, stay tuned. It'll be up uh, at some point in one of the episodes. Uh, yep. I've got another email here from uh, Brian. Uh, the subject is, what happened to your podcast? Uh, valid question. Uh, it's been, what, two weeks, three weeks since yeah. the last uh, 
Yeah, two and a half weeks. I think. Yeah, we uh, we did have one scheduled. Actually, this one was scheduled uh, about a week or so ago, but a few uh, technical glitches uh, buggered that up, so it didn't happen. Um, so yeah, in reality, uh, life happened. Some technical glitches happened, and uh, we hadn't been able to uh, get a get an episode posted. But in some good news, we uh, we've decided that instead of doing our random posting and uh, just randomly uh, getting the podcast going whenever we kind of all lined up, we're going to start doing a set day of Wednesdays. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, every Wednesday, we're going to be doing the podcast. Uh, hopefully, all of us can make it. Uh, we're going to set it up so that if uh, one or two of us is absent or unable to make it, uh, the podcast is still going to run. So it's going to be Wednesday evenings. Uh, stay tuned for that, but uh, hopefully there'll be no more emails of what happened to your podcast because you can just check out Wednesdays and we'll be there. Yeah, I think the problem the problem up to this point, because we're still at amateur hour for our, our skill set level here, is that uh, you know we're all shift workers and trying to arrange, well, three or more schedules and to try and find a day that works for everybody, it usually ends up being harder than you would realize. So I think uh, by oh. setting a set day, we'll just probably increase the panelist numbers and uh, hey, whoever shows, shows. Exactly. So now it's going to be Prepper Podcast Wednesdays. We had another, uh, an interesting email from uh, a band in France, if I remember correctly. Uh, Let's see here. Yeah, from Paris. Uh, So they just sent us a link to um, their latest songs. They they listened to the podcast, figured they'd just send in um, some collaborations that they've put together. So if you're into uh, electronic type music, break out the glow sticks and uh, head over to the link that. I've put in the show notes here and uh, have a listen to their uh, their latest music. Uh, if that's uh, your type of tune, then uh, check it out. Is that, the band, is that the band name Pepper Juice? Pepper Juice is the uh, the band name, yeah. And they're on they're on Sound no, uh, SoundCloud.com slash Pepper Juice. So if, uh, if yeah, they would change the name to Pepper Juice, that'd be maybe better. When I first read it, I was kind of afraid to open the email. <laughs> but then i realized that it said yeah. pepper not preppers I'm like okay, okay this might be safe um, yeah yeah but, uh, yeah so if electronic music is your kind of thing go for it but bring the bring the glow sticks and, right on. yeah and you know what we did have you know what i will we had one other on podbean I was going to pull it up here. It's logged me out. Uh, we had. Here it is here. Uh, so from uh, Welsh Forge just says, great show. Inspired me to reach out uh, to find the local ham group uh, to see about getting licensed. So uh, glad to hear that it's uh, inspiring people to, to reach out to various uh, locations in their community and, and uh, partake in certain things Very they cool. may not have. So appreciate it. Awesome. So uh, just as a reminder for our uh, our listeners as well, like, I mean, uh, judging by the fact that we kind of try and pursue the pr- preparedness lifestyle, a lot of us don't live in urban areas where there's high-speed internet. And uh, so I guess you can't have a doomsday in high-speed too. So um, just uh, we had one YouTube comment last week about uh, audio levels and our incessant laughter. So uh, A, uh, audio levels are as a result of satellite internet and or low-speed internet, depending on where I am and where 
the other guys are. The pigeons um, can only fly so fast. That's right. I, you know, <laughs> only works at a certain speed. And so uh, do do appreciate your patience with that. But uh, if you're going to live out in the sticks, you can't always have high speed. And uh, the other thing with intercessant laughter, I do apologize for enjoying doing this, but it is something we do for free. So we, if we don't enjoy it, we're not going to do it. I, I don't apologize for that. If it's if it's not fun, it's not worth doing. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna laugh. We're gonna enjoy it, and that's yep. that's just how it is because it's not worth doing otherwise. Yep. And if we're laughing, I, I make the assumption that everybody else listening is most likely laughing as well because well, we all found it funny. So I'm pretty sure you guys did too. The difference is that they're laughing at us, and we're laughing with us. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, 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 I think sometimes you guys just are how it goes. I don't know. I'm definitely laughing at you, Ian. Yeah, there are times where we're laughing at you, yes. <laughs> awesome. All right. Where are we in the outro? Uh, I've outro. lost track. Yeah, I lost track as well. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's all of us, then we're okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good. This is what editing is for, right? So You got it. <laughs> we're not retreating. We're advancing in a new direction. Yes, that's exactly what's happening here. Uh, so with that, I will uh, bring episode number 24 of the uh, Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, Spotify if I could talk, uh, or your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Take a few minutes and submit a review. It helps other people find us. You can also find us at prepperpodcast.ca. I suppose you can only find us on YouTube for a very short time. Other than that, it's going to have to be, what is it, Apple Podcast is going to be where it's where it's going to live from now on. So that's one of those other one of those other news items that iTunes is going away. Anywho, uh, we record these shows live on YouTube chats. Uh, if you want early access or an early peek to the peek at the show, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, the Islander. Click on the notifications tab; it gives you an alert when we're going live. And feel free to leave us comments. Every so often, we even look at them and uh, and respond to them. I think Eric's had done a good job of keeping up on the keeping up on the YouTube comments on this episode. Uh, if you want to contact me directly, you can find me on Instagram at ppswo. All right, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail and you can also find me giving me or giving my two cents worth on a Canadian Patriot podcast, also available on iTunes and YouTube. There you'll find us exposing uh, more government waste, squirreling off on the odd firearms-related conversation, and generally drowning our sorrows online versus at the local watering hole. Uh, for myself, um, you can reach me directly by email at hfxprepper at gmail.com. All right. And if you could check out uh, rapidsurvival.com, uh, you can get me there on the live chat uh, while you're buying some prepper gear and possibly some lockpicking equipment. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Of course, while you're still buying that uh, prepper gear at Rapid Survival. Uh, thanks for joining us and tune in next episode where we are going to be discussing uh, cast iron goodness. So until next time, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning. <laughs>